Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. All right, Keith, we are back with Theology in the Dirt. This week, we're talking about biblical theology. All right, so let's define it. And then let's talk over let's talk over biblical theology, um, and I'm sure folks may have multiple definitions, but this definition helps me. I've pulled this from places like Mark Dever, um, Nine Marks, um, Graham Goldsworthy. Mm-hmm. So, so for some folks who are looking for some more resources, Graham Goldsworthy is one of my favorite. Mark Dever, uh, I think he he epitomizes that as a pastor theologian. So yeah. here here's here's a here's a takeaway. Uh, as far as a definition, it's a discipline of learning to read the Bible as one story with one divine author that culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ so that every part of Scripture is understood in relation to Jesus. So that's a good working definition. Yeah. And you stated just a minute ago uh, before before we began recording uh, that when you say mm-hmm. biblical theology, that ought to just kind of makes sense, but that's not what's happening with some people when yeah. they think biblical theology. Yeah. Yeah. Even the term theology is, um, that's why we we're doing this podcast sort of is like theology is done in the dirt. It's not yeah. this big, um, it's not this big intellectual sort of pursuit. Theology right. is, is a, is a search for the one true God, the, the source of all this. That's right. Um, that's right. And so theology simply is just a, a, what most people who are Christians have always been doing. They're looking for the Lord, and, and we know that we find Him in the Scriptures and creation and in the life of Christ and that kind of thing. Right. But um, so biblical theology, the, the term is there to distinguish it from other kinds of theology, like right. systematic theology, which right. takes a look at the doctrines of our faith, like what do we believe about sin? What do right. we believe about man? What do we believe about God, salvation, those kinds of things. Right. That's sort of systematics. Yeah. Again, it sounds super heady, super intellectual, but systematics also is super important. It has a it has a major impact on how we actually make decisions in our life. That's right. Helps us organize doctrine so that right. we, we can we can isolate a topic and study it well so that we get it right. Yeah, yeah. So you're looking at this massive. Um, you know, you're at you're at thirty thousand feet in a in an airplane, and you're looking down at this landscape, and it's just too big. Right to take in. Right. Um, at some point in the game, you got to get down on the ground and start going. Okay, well, where are we, and what does this tree mean, and where is this river going, that kind of thing. So systematics helps us take it apart and understand it, how it all fits together. Right. But biblical theology really is the. It's a foundation for systematics. If you don't get biblical theology, then it's hard to get systematics. That's right. Because biblical theology really is the thirty thousand foot picture. That's right. It is. So if you if I blindfold you. And um, and haul you into this jungle someplace and take off the blindfold and all you see is dense forest. Right. And you've never even you've never even gotten the big picture. That's right. It's hard to begin talking about. Yeah. What's that tree and what's yeah. that river kind of thing? So I have no geographical frame of reference. There's I don't no know frame where it fits. Right. It's just that. It's just this. Oh my gosh! It's a tree. Yeah. Where is it at? Where is it <laughs> on the globe? What's my position? Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. does it fit? So when we're talking about the story of David, right, um, and we're talking about Goliath, yeah, and we're talking about what's going on there, if you don't understand that there's a that there's a Messiah that has already come, right, 
that there is that that Messiah is taking us to a, a known destination right. at some point down the road where there's going to be a judgment in heaven and hell. Right. It's hard to understand right. that interaction that happens in that valley between David and Goliath and this army and that army. That's right. What you might be prone to do yeah. is begin to take it as a moral lesson right. about if you're faithful, what will God do? Yes. So, which there's some truth to that. Yeah, absolutely. But understanding um, understanding that story in the in the nature of the the whole span of human history yeah. is super important. So That's right. theology, the pursuit of God, biblical theology is is acknowledging right out of the gate right. that we're going to draw our understanding from God. Mm-hmm. By the story that's told to us right. in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. That's right. We can't understand God apart from that story. That's right. There is no theology that's, right. that's not biblical. Now, that's right. Many, many, many people would argue with that. Right. Um, and many of the people who are listening here are going, I've never met one person who would argue with that. Right. But the more you, the more we move forward in the world we're in right now, right. and as it secularizes, right. at least you and your, at least your children, mm-hmm. like definitely your grandchildren, are going to be interacting with people whose lenses, the lenses they're wearing, yeah. if they're even talking about God, right. they're not probably talking about God of the Bible. That's right. So biblical theology is utterly important and foundational for a Christian. Absolutely. That framework helps us to not do things that I, I, I hear frequently and, and, and deal with in folks in regard to pitting Jesus against the God of the Old Testament <laughs> right. because right. they're missing it. It's like theologically they've been dropped in that jungle mm-hmm. with a blindfold on and they're now looking at this tree and going, well, this is what God is like. And they're missing the frame of reference uh, large enough that helps them to see that God is big and He is massive and He is huge and He is triune. He is unified, yet He is three. And 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 you don't now pit Jesus against the God of the Old Testament with biblical theology. You see, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, yeah. and and that and that His purposes have been unfolding since Genesis one. And at this point in time, he is enacting something that he promised way back there. Mm. But if all I do is look at Jesus and isolate Jesus away from the rest of the whole narrative of who God is yeah. and what his purpose in the world is, I can turn Jesus into a social warrior. Uh, I can turn him into a moral example, even just a myth that teaches me how to be better in life. Right. And there's no historical nature to it. And, and, and that's devastating without the discipline of biblical theology. Yeah. So here's a question, Mitch, that I'm, I'm thinking, and it feels it feels like it comes it comes up a lot, um, because you know for a long time I was a I was a guy who, who was working in in the secular world. I was a, I'm a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. I'm serving in the local church, but I, I really don't have any official ministry title. Um, now I've I've worked through seminary. I'm almost finished with seminary now. Right. I'm not practicing as a physical therapist, and so. People see me more as a minister now somehow. Right, right. And so when I begin talking about passion about theology, they, they're looking at me like, well, yeah, that's that's for you guys. Figures, right? Yeah, you that's, got that's the degree now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not for the rest of us. Right. So talk talk to me a, a little bit or tell me why is biblical theology for everybody? And it's not just for guys who do podcasts on theology. Right. What's the, what's the importance in, of for biblical theology? And is it even achievable? Yeah. That's a great question. I would say the importance of biblical theology and why it's achievable is because everybody has some 
meta narrative that mm. they fit and interpret every event of life by. It's impossible to not. Everybody has a framework of understanding. So when this event happens, they have to fit it into the question, why? Why did that happen? Well, there's a set of presuppositions everybody has that helps them answer the why question, right? right? And, and, um, and, and, and the questions as to why can be from zero to 100 because they have a f- framework, a frame of reference by which they interpret it from. And the question is, where did they get it? Right? Did right. they get it from their parents? Was did, and, and and what did their parents give them? Is it a naturalistic worldview? Right? Are they thinking like right. the the physical world is all there is, and if the physical world is all there is, then this event is merely physical, and has a ton of causes that I can maybe trace back to a physical cause or a biological cause. Mm-hmm. They have a meta narrative, right? Yeah. And so, if the physical world isn't all there is then their frame of reference is faulty. So for them to know the ultimate why, they need what the Bible gives us in the narrative, Mm -hmm. the framework by which that event can fit into appropriately when they understand it as God reveals it in His Word. So I think, A, it's achievable because everybody's got one. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that they're aware they have it. Sure. So it's achievable. I would say it's simple. I don't think it's complex. Yeah. I think it's putting definitions to names. And once that happens, um, they know they're professional theologians and good ones. I had a professor say to me one time, everybody's a theologian. The question isn't, are you a theologian? The question is, are you a good one or a sloppy one? Yeah. Because everybody forms a thought on God. The question is, is it accurate or is it really wrong? Yeah. And so we all have a frame of reference. And a biblical theology is totally learnable. Yeah. It's just a matter of where you're going to get that information to define terms in. When you were talking about everybody's got a worldview or a meta narrative, um, everybody's got a, uh, a view of God, and, w- and that view may be that he doesn't exist or that he exists in some form. Right. Uh, how he interacts with us is. Or there are of millions it. of them. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're all over the place, right? Right. Um, the, uh, it reminds me of sort of worldview studies, right. which we talked about this too, that biblical theology really sort of is worldview training. It's, That's right. It's how you see the world. It's what lenses you're seeing the world through. Right. Every human being who's ever lived has have asked um, a few main questions. Right. How did all this get here? Right. Yeah. What has gone wrong? Right. Um, what was the purpose in the beginning? Like, did it have a purpose? Like, right. where, did, where, where did it come from and why did it, did it even happen? Right. Like, why is there a universe? Right. What's going wrong? Nobody, regardless of their worldview, thinks this is the best world that could possibly have been. We recognize their suffering. And yeah. the question is, why? Yeah. Then the question is, well, what's the solution? Right. We see that playing itself out in politics and sociology. Really, everybody is trying to figure out how we're going to fix the problems. Yeah. Um, and then finally, where's it all headed? Yeah. Like, what's the end game? Right. Number one, can we know the end game? Right. Number two, if we can know it, what is it? Yeah. And how do we, if we believe there is an end game, it's going to affect how we mm. decide today. Yeah. To, if we know we're trying to climb Everest, yeah. we can see it in the distance. We're going to head toward it. Right? Yeah. 
So all that, every single human being who's ever lived, knowingly or unknowingly, has answered those questions one way or the other. The question with good theology, or the, 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 um, the blessing with good theology is that when you answer those questions, yeah. the answers are consistent. That's right. And they're coherent. That's right. Like they actually make sense together. They do. Your answer about how it all got here yeah. is consistent and coherent with, well, what's the answer to the problem then? That's right. Um, and so the beautiful thing yeah. about the biblical worldview, and when you look at it from a, when you look at it from a standpoint of biblical theology, right, sort of the big picture look, right, you can get very early on, even in, inside of a thirty minute conversation, you can help demonstrate that the Christian worldview, the 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 um, orthodox biblical sort of evangelical Christian worldview, right, is the only worldview I found. Yeah that can consistently answer those questions and be coherent at every level. Coherent meaning yeah. you never contradict yourself. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, you never I, have to contradict yourself. I completely agree. I, I have found that intellectually to be utterly consistent. Mm. But it had to start up here with, right. here's who God is, here was His purpose, here's where He's going, and here's how He as His person works all that out. And it is completely logically consistent. It's morally, ethically consistent across the board. And so, I, and, and I, I guess the truth of the matter is our, our Jewish friends and our Muslim friends have a worldview. And, and we share a similar framework, but down in the particulars, we disagree wildly. Right. So you get into other worldviews that don't share some of the same values. They have a meta narrative, mm-hmm. but, but it's inconsistent with just being human. Yeah, I mean, the treatment of human beings as human beings is this so off base that there's this inconsistency in that I'm supposed to be a divine creature to some degree, but you leave me in the gutter to rot because I deserve that. Mm. Well, that's inconsistent right. with some. Well, if I have some spark of divine, you better lift me out of the gutter because I might come back and get you <laughs> right. if you don't take care of me. Right. But it's like that's, that. It's radically inconsistent mm-hmm. in some of the Eastern worldviews. And I'm not trying to poo-poo on anybody's faith, just there's inconsistency there. Yeah. But I agree with you. It's it's ethically, logically consistent. Right. Coming out of the nature of God. So what are the if if you're looking at um if you're looking at a biblical theology, yeah. you and I would probably break that down at its most basic level. Right. If you're looking at the meta narrative, right. it would probably break down into four main categories. I think so. Yeah. What are those categories? I would say because I believe what the scriptures testify to that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He's the yeah. second person of the Trinity, the creator of everything. Yeah. He taught us in, in, in the Gospels, particularly Luke 24. He summarized the totality of the scriptures uh, when he taught his disciples biblical theology mm-hmm. that the Son of Man would come, he would suffer be killed, be buried, rise on the third day and the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. He said that's a sum total of everything mm. that's written. So with that being the case, uh, I would see the the narrative, the overall picture of biblical theology breaking down into well, how did we get here? Well, creation. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it get broken? There's been a massive cataclysmic rebellion. We, we would say the fall, mm-hmm. the fall of mankind from grace. Well, what is God doing about it? Well, He's redeeming, He's mm-hmm. saving, and He's restoring. 
And and then, well, where is it headed? Well, that's the, the let's say, consummation mm-hmm. or the redemption of all things. Right. And so those four categories I see worked out in what Jesus said it was all about. Uh, it had to start. He started it. Something's radically wrong, which is why he had to come and suffer and die and be buried and rise. That is also how he's fixing it. And he's taking it somewhere. Mm-hmm. He's wrapping it all up to a good purpose plan. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How does it help you interpret the Bible? Why is it important to be able to read your Bible correctly? Right. If that's true, if those four components are true, then I would say it helps me to read the Scriptures correctly by forcing me to read the story in light of that, um, uh, like, uh, for instance, if I'm, if I'm a waypoint, what am I, a GPS tracker, mm-hmm. right? I type in some coordinates. Well, those coordinates come from a satellite that's looking at the whole world, and it's pinpointing me to a location. Well, it forces me to back up to that satellite and see where that thing is, mm-hmm. right? So you, David, right? So rather than just looking at David and Goliath, I back out to the satellite view, and I see where is David and Goliath on a timeline? Uh, where are they at geographically? Um, who does David belong to? Why is David there? Um, why aren't his brothers there? <laughs> who is Goliath? Why is Goliath a problem? What is Goliath saying to these people? I'm, I'm backing up and I'm asking a lot of questions. Yeah. And it's helping me. It's forcing me to not just see little dude throwing rocks at a big dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me ask it. the question, why? Right. Yeah, I, I look at... Um... Yeah, I, I think about, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if, if you're ever at maybe at dinner or someplace with a group of people and you like, you're there because you know one of them. Right. And uh, they know, <laughs> everybody else knows each other. Yeah. You're the one guy that's at the table right. that doesn't really know everybody. And they're, they're telling stories about when they were little. And, and it's like, it, it seems like every story is an inside story. Right. Like every joke's an inside joke. Right. Everybody's laughing, and you're doing your best to go. Ah, it's funny, but you really don't get it, right? Because you didn't live through right the things that they lived through, right? You don't know the full story, right? And so you can pick up bits and pieces of it, but you don't under even if you understand what they're saying. There's there's a lack of richness. That's right to that story. Uh, biblical theology puts you in the story. There's no such thing as an inside joke. That's right. When you're reading the scriptures, that's if, right. You get this principle, and you've done your homework to read through your Bible every year. And yes, you've worked through it, and you yeah. know these things. And so, yeah, when you read something that's utterly bizarre, right, ten, that you read ten years ago, right, yet now that you've read through your Bible for the past ten years, right, you're going that make, that's not it is bizarre, but it's it's right. bizarre on purpose. That's right. There's a reason. So that also um, is a play in as far as how biblical theology helps you interpret the Bible. And it, for me as a kid, I used to read, not even as a kid, but as a young adult, I would read the Bible and there were things in there that were so bizarre to me. It caused me to doubt my faith. Right. So this is ridiculous. Like, right. What in the world? Yeah. Why? Yeah. The but Levite now, and his concubine. Yeah. You, know, you read that stuff and go, what in the world yes, is this, this here for? On? Right. But when you, when you can locate that thing, if mm-hmm. you're up on the satellite and you yeah. can relo- you can locate that story in the in the bigger scheme of things, yeah. you go, I understand completely why the Lord put that in there. Yeah. I understand why it needed to happen. I understand the implications for that's right. The new covenant 
Yeah. Versus the old covenant. That's right. Because the new covenant's coming, and yeah. God's given us this. He's given us this revelation. Right. Intending us. He knows that we know the new covenant's here. That's right. So we, we, we're able to adjust. So yeah. one thing that I, when I see, when I think through interpreting the Bible correctly, I think about New Testament, Old Testament. Right. Can you talk for a second about how does biblical theology help you understand the new covenant right. or the new testament right. um, in relation, because you understand the old covenant? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sense. it makes perfect sense. It helps me to, to, to understand because it forces me into God's worldview, right? All of history is being worked out to God's end. Right. And so it forces me to place what's happening in the New Testament inside the framework of what God started in Genesis 1. Mm. And so it forces me to not see a division between the Testaments, but it forces me to see God's systematic working of an eternal plan. I think even our language of New Testament, we understand theologically that doesn't mean that doesn't count anymore. We yeah. have to say, Old Testament, oh, it's old, it's no good. Now we're just in the new. Mm-hmm. Those terms aren't biblical. They've been handed down to us through church right. history. And so if I take those off and just look at the progression of history mm-hmm. and how God worked covenants out and reaching down to man, I see the New Testament as the fulfilled promise that he made all the way back in Genesis 3, yeah. that it is... God's just been working history out to his appointed ends, yeah. which is why like Proverbs sixteen thirty three makes so much sense. You know, sense you the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision from the Lord. It's it's not like Jesus coming to fulfill what was promised back then was even a question. Mm-hmm. He makes dice land. And so what I see is I see these things as being the natural progression of a sovereign God working out his will on earth to bring about redemption from a rebellion that happened. And so it just causes me to locate it and see it from God's perspective. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's it. And, that's very good. And, and, and I think even, I think in terms of a good movie, one of my favorite kind of movie is when the scene opens and there's this chaos and it's usually some kind of war flick or something. Yeah. Things are blowing up and you see this just crazy amount of chaos and bullets are flying and things are going wild and then it stops before it concludes and then the title at the screen says 10 years earlier and it's like they're sitting in a swing and birds are flying and chirping you're like how did we get from birds chirping and the sun shining and sitting in a hammock to bullets flying and the world blowing up and then how's it going to end and then it just takes me on this journey that is the meta narrative of the Bible, mm-hmm. and just side note, I'm convinced all good storytelling comes from the image of God in man, who's desperate to find their location in that narrative. Yeah. And this narrative is so written on the heart of man; they make movies like it. Oh, that's I'm totally good. convinced they do. That's good. And so, you get the beginning and the end, which are the same, mm-hmm. and in the middle, how it got that way and how he fixed it. Yeah. And he's the hero of the story. And often, the challenge is we want to make ourselves, we want to read ourselves into the story. We're just not there. Yeah. We are not in the story. It, the story is about him. Yeah. And how he's going to save me, right? And so it forces me to see it from his perspective, not from necessarily how I'm in the story, but how he is revealed in the story to save me and catch me up into himself Mm -hmm. and fulfill my joy and rescue me from all that stuff that's gone bad. Right. Well, that's good. I love that analogy of of story and how how we long for stories. And we also long, we long for, for human beings to win. 
Yes. Like we, we want to see who we want to be the winner. There's something deep down inside of us. Yes. That says that we're destined. Yes. We're destined to win. That's right. In the end. That's right. Um, there's nothing in me yeah. that thinks that I might be destined to just go away. Right. There, there's right. no. There's. Yeah. I've never had right. had any kind of sense that just mysteriously bubbles out in me. Right. That. You know, it feels like this thing's probably just going to all fizzle out. It's right. going to lose energy, right. and then it's just, just going to go away. Yeah. And and we'll, and human beings yeah. will be gone yep. with no memory yeah. in anybody's mind yeah. that it ever happened. Which is why naturalism as a worldview is so inconsistent with human experience. We have this innate sense of, I'm here for something, yeah. which is why we ask the question, why? Right. Why even exist as words come out of our mouth? Because there's something in us that is starving for that. And so for anybody to deny that yeah. and say that there's no, that's just the most hopeless, worthless, inconsistent worldview on the yeah. face of the planet. Yeah, the restlessness that plagues yeah. human beings plagues us because we know we're not supposed to be restless. That's right. We know that I'm created yep. to contribute to something yep. that in the end is going to be glorious. Absolutely. And therefore I ask, well, what's what's going wrong? Yeah. Uh, what's happening here? And without the fall in my worldview, yeah. like without, without the notion of a fall uh, to human beings, right. I can't make sense of the world. Absolutely. And it, it, it really just... The, the whole thing just becomes this, the big problem that's unsolvable. Absolutely. With the story, with the narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, right? it all makes sense. It does make sense. I don't look around and go, this virus thing, man, it's killing all these people, and it seems so random, and it's like, why? No, it, it, we live in a fallen world. That's right. We that's live right. in a fallen world, and we're going to struggle, um, and, I, and, and there's hope. That's right. Because I know that at the end of the day, yeah. Christ has created us for more than viruses and more than hopelessness and more than suffering and pain. Absolutely. Yeah. This thing isn't spinning out of control. It's spinning toward control, <laughs> yeah. and he's in charge of it, right? So let's take a break right here, then we're going to come back and plow through some, some of our stuff on why this is important. All right. So, Keith, we, we, we answered the question, how does biblical theology help me to interpret Scripture? So... Another thought we have here is, is uh, and, and you answer this one, and let's discuss this. How does doing that first one, we ask, how does biblical theology help us to interpret Scripture? Well, if we interpret Scripture rightly, how does interpreting Scripture rightly prevent us from creating a false Christianity? Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's a... I, my brain is spinning a thousand different directions. Because, <laughs> right. Because it's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem in our world. It's always been a problem, really. It feels so present to me, maybe because this is when this is the time that I'm living in. But right. Uh, Christianity doesn't really mean much. Right. Today, when I when I hear when I read in the in the secular press about Christianity, right. I know for a fact that I've got to get into this article to some degree before I realize which Christianity are they talking about. Right. Like, which Christ are they talking about? Right. Are they talking about the Christ who was a great guy and a moral, and a moral example? Are they talking about the Christ who didn't even really exist? Right. But the idea of him is good, almost like a fable. Right. Or are we talking about the Christ that lived, died, was raised again, mm-hmm. and is going to come back to judge the living and the dead? Right. So um, there, there are all these narratives about who Jesus was. Right. Um, and many of these people who have created these false Christianities— 
I'm not talking about people who are just making it up out of their own mind. Right. These people are using the scriptures. That's right. To create this false narrative about who Jesus was. But they're doing it in a way that doesn't account for the whole story. Like they can't account for the God of the Old Testament That's and right. some of the things that happened back there. That's right. Some of the judgment that was dealt out isn't consistent with this Jesus who's yeah. sweet and kind and and just is this always going to be false sense of love, you. right? Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. a false sense of love, right? But the biblical the biblical theology, understanding the meta narrative, seeing the seeing the the world that I'm living in through a lens that is shaped by the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, helps me know who Christ was and what He came to do in in, in the right sense. Um, so that then I can understand what Christianity is. Yeah, that's good. There, was it Calvin who said the heart is an idol factory? Mm. It might have been Calvin. It might have been somebody else. I'm totally maybe placing that in the wrong guy's mouth, but I think it was Calvin who said the, art, the heart right. is an idol factory. Um, I, I think for me, understanding that personally, Mitchell Jolly, uh, my heart is an uh, well, I have a new heart in the new covenant, so it's not so much my heart, sure. but I still have a flesh that's broken, mm-hmm. and I am still an idol factory. And and when I define idolatry appropriately, I start to see how I can create a false Christianity. Because Paul said, I think it's Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mm. Now, that passage has wrecked me for years because I think of idolatry merely as creating a little statue. Right. And I'm like, I'm far too advanced intellectually and on the timeline of history to do that. However, that's that's the manifestation of a covetous heart. Mm-hmm. And what is coveting? It's wanting the wrong things or wanting the right things too much. Right. And as as a Jesus follower, I can want the right things too much. Or I can want the wrong things. And if 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 life is squeezing me hard, I can go to the text and find something that Answers or seems to answer my current situation, lift it out and make it say something it does not say because I've divorced it from the narrative. Yeah. Right? And so in so doing, it sounds Christian. I've got a Bible verse. I can do all things through Christ. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I take that out and apply it to wherever I happen to be without regard for the intent, I have made a little idol, and I, I jokingly say a lot, I put a Christian t-shirt on it. Mm-hmm. It says WWJD or whatever yeah. whatever in pop Christian subculture says, and I can justify it because I use the Bible and I use the Scripture version. Mm-hmm. And biblical theology won't let me get away with that. Right. If I take it back to the narrative, that square peg doesn't fit in the round hole God made, and I'm either forced at that point to go, okay, got to back up reinterpret the passage or just be fine with it being wrong, which then puts me in a, a place of going, hey brother, you wanted the wrong thing or you wanted the right thing too yeah. badly. Yeah. And that and I and, and and I'm preaching to myself because I do that about four times a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. That our we have fallen minds because of the fall. And right. so we're we're coming to these scriptures trying to interpret them rightly and Yeah. And there's you know there's hermeneutics is you know the, the the way to interpret a text and understand what it means right. is an entire discipline. Right. Um, but it's it's one that um, has lost its way in the church. That's right. And so, but this biblical theology is part of that story. How do we get to 
um, what God wants us to understand from any anything that He's written in here. Yeah, but yeah. The the whole idol thing. Um, you know, many of us, many of us rely on things. We we know there's a problem in the world. We recognize it. We feel it. We feel the suffering. Yeah. We feel the impending doom, like this coronavirus thing. It's like, what is going to happen? Right. You know, it, it can produce a lot of fear, all that stuff. And so we, so we're going to various places yeah. to be delivered from that. You you start reading the Old Testament, and you see that um, it seems absurd to modern people that somebody would literally set up a wooden statue yeah. that they know good and well came out of a tree someplace. Right. It was a tree. Right. Some man carved it. Right. And then he set it up and then prayed to it and asked to be delivered. Yeah. And God God looks at that and, and in the Old Testament he, he ridicules those people. He like does. He's, you're, yeah. your God has no eyes. He cannot see. He has no ears. He cannot hear. That's and right. you've called to him yeah. to deliver you. Right. Now, you're calling to me. Go call to him. Right. Right. See if, see what he's got for yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. Well, he's got nothing for you. That's right. But, you know, we do the same thing. We do. With technologies. Yes. These technologies were nothing. With our own brain, we created them. Yeah. We brought them to be. Right. We set them up and we looked at them and we we're asking those technologies. Yeah. To solve our deepest problems. Yeah. It's the exact same thing that, that ancient people did with, with wooden statues. It's exactly right. But And those things can be good. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you can look at a story like the Tower of Babel that happened long, long ago. Right. And you can see how a potentially good thing becomes a destructive thing. That's right. Well, again, this is, if you're seeing the scriptures through that story, through right. the stories like the Tower of Babel, stories like right. people who were, who were trying to find um, help from things that can't see and can't hear. Right. You, you keep reading through and you see that the New Testament isn't so disconnected from the Old. There's continuity between there is. the two. And there's certainly continuity between the Old Testament and the first century and the 21st century. That's right. We're, we're people. Yep. We're trying to solve the same problems that they were trying to solve. That's right. There's still one answer. Yep. And it, it brings me comfort to know that I'm not so far removed from That's Adam right. and Eve. I'm not so far removed from those people who are standing at that tower looking up at it going, this is uh, this is an answer. Right. This <laughs> is good. Yeah. This is going to build something for us. It's yeah. going to answer questions for us. And God's like, no, it's not. You're, That's right. You're, you're going to look to that tower to answer the problems yeah. that only I can solve for you. That's right. And a biblical theology um, That's helps, right. helps you. See, we've been here before. Yeah. This isn't new. Yeah, that's exactly right. As you were talking, I was thinking Graham Goldsworthy said the best commentary in the Old Testament is the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And how they clearly saw what was happening in Jesus as the fulfillment and answer to everything happening Mm -hmm. there. So these things were there. And and if we divorce them from that message, we can take take something and turn it into an idol. And so biblical theology forces me back up into the narrative Mm -hmm. to go, does this conclusion fit. And if it doesn't, then we need to be able to start over. Right. And I think a fear for me is that in our world, it's far too easy to go find something that will affirm my conclusion. Yes. Yeah, there's a messenger even if it's wrong. out there somewhere that will go, yeah, man, that's right. Yeah. And Paul even told the churches, guys, hey, there are false prophets who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And and he's forcing them. All scriptures God breathed. So go there. Go back to that. If it doesn't fit that story. And here's the thing, Keith, I feel like often 
I wish God had written. I feel like I could improve on the story a little bit. If God had just said, yeah. and then God's going, I did say. But if he'd just written in a, in a chapter and a verse, boom, it would have cleared everything up. But then, but then as soon as I say that, I start thinking through all the passages and go, he did say it. Yeah. He said it not just in a chapter and verse. He wrote it in an entire story. Yeah, it all points to that that same answer. Yeah, and, and an incredible story at that. Yeah. So talk to me. One of the things that we wanted to discuss in this is um, how a biblical, a sound biblical theology forces you to have um, an, a gospel-centric understanding of the text. You understand the text in that it points to Christ right. and the work that Christ did on the cross yeah. and in his resurrection. Yeah. How does... Biblical theology help you do that. Well, it, because Jesus said that every story there, to quote Sally Lloyd Jones, whispers his name. Mm. I am forced to. Well, if Jesus is who he said he is, then gosh, I better take that understanding. So it forces me to read the narrative and look for, not inappropriately or wrongly, but uh, nuance. Yeah. How does this take me to Jesus? And then it forces me to understand. The multi, what's the word I'm looking for? The multifaceted glory of the gospel. Mm. That the gospel is not merely the justifying work of the cross. Right. It is, but it is also the nature and character of God, who is love, who is holy, uh, who is ethical, who is right, um, and His manifestation of that in Jesus, and then the work of the Holy Spirit, and His work in saving a people who is that people manifested in Jesus so there's the gospel is this multifaceted diamond that Mm -hmm. turn it this way and you see a nature a piece of God so it forces me in the whole text to look and who look and see who is God how's he revealed himself how does he save people and and if I answer those questions with the text I'm it's forcing me to run to the gospel so I look at the story of Samson or, or the the Levite and his concubine and I start going what do I see here in the nature of God? Well, if I look at the Levite and his concubine, that awful story in the book of Judges that wraps up the book of Judges, it forces me to see the anti-God. Mm. You know, here's a terrible husband who clearly, clearly does not love this mm. woman, leaves her exposed, allows her to be abused, and then uses it as an excuse to start a war. Mm. And I look at that and I see that is clearly not the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. He, he loves, he protects, and there are passages that speak to that. You know, you got the book of um, uh, uh, Hosea. Yes. God is the husband. Mm. And not only is he mistreated, he goes after the one that mistreats him and tenderly wins them yeah. back. And, and there's your answer to the Levite and his concubine. I'm seeing God showing me who he is by giving me a negative example. Yeah. So I see him as loving not unloving so he gives me a dark picture so that the light of who he is shines even brighter if that makes sense is that tracking a little bit there it makes perfect sense man and and I I just feel like I know there was a time in my life I would have said man that's too much information there's no way you could expect me right to know all that right there's no way you could expect me to understand that at a level that um, that ties it in so beautifully like you're describing it I want to challenge folks who are listening to us that that's absolute nonsense. Right. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Right. I don't care what your um, what your appreciation for reading is. Right. God, you know, Christians are they're people of the text. I mean, we yeah. we have a Bible. 
That's right. It's been written. We're going to have to read it. If you don't read it, then maybe at least you can listen to it. Right. But, I mean, I, I just want to fight against uh, the enemy's message to people yeah. that you can't know this stuff. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's amazing what people know. Uh, it's just a matter of what they've leaned into. Right? It's a matter <laughs> yes. of what their heart has embraced. Yeah. And I, I just my encouragement to anybody listening is just just do it. Just do it. Just start reading your Bible. Absolutely. Beginning to end. Yep. In in as big a chunks as you can. Yep. Make it a priority. Yep. And I, I I guess the encouragement that I have and just really the exhortation is, it's not something that would be nice if you did it. I believe it's something that God intends for every believer. Yeah. He's given us an entire Bible for a reason. That's right. We, um, God has given us his revelation. He's included stories in there that can only, the, the meaning of which can only be unlocked if you've, if you've picked up the key because you've read it all. That's right. God intends for us to know the whole story. That's right. We cannot use the excuse. Yeah. I, I don't have time and I've just never learned it. Yeah, that's right. Dig in there. Yeah. And and just and just encourage yourself yeah. to read it. And the things that Mitch just described about you know the the Levite and the concubine and how it's how it factors into the glory of God and those are things that are achievable for every single person who's listening to this. They absolutely are. And and and, and I think uh when we start to realize that this isn't just an academic pursuit, but it's reality. Yes. Like this, you start finding there's joy living out every day because this adventure of walking in this time frame and this narrative that God is working on in history, that you are, you are not the story, but you're in it. You're in it. You're working out as an instrument in his hands to, and, 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 and then you start re- realizing, man, this, this is important. My vocation is important. The decision I make today is important. The general's giving me a mission, and I can't fail him today. I gotta call him for resources yeah. for for the task. Because I, I find myself reading like uh, I love, you, you know, I, I love Lewis and I love Tolkien. Mm-hmm. I love these stories, and I'll find myself even today. Uh, last night I was reading uh, reading chapter where uh, Frodo and Sam are continuing their journey to Mordor, and 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 Smeagol is part of their journey, and. And just the how that works itself out, and I get so in the story, I'll put the book up, and I find myself going, "Gosh, if that were just true, I would love to be on that adventure." And then the Lord catches me. You are. It is. It's true. You're in it. You're living it out. And then this just joy that, oh my gosh. This is really real. And so I think when people can get there and realize this is an academic pursuit, but it's the knowledge of the story you're in, yeah. I mean, it's a game changer. Yeah. Total the, game changer. Yeah, this virus could have just as well been some some entity that's that's making an impact on their journey, Yeah, you know, in, in that story. <laughs> it's a smeagle, um, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's that evil thing that's yeah. coming against us right now to yeah. tear us apart, to cause division, to solve all sorts of problems. It's spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. And it's physical. Yes, it is. Um, and if it wasn't for Smeagol, they wouldn't have found their way to Mordor. Right. So, so somehow this evil thing who wants to kill them and wants what they have but can't get it is going to guide them to their destination. Yeah, Doesn't that smell like the Lord? It is. It, it, if you understand the story. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you understand the meta narrative of Scripture and the story that God has laid out for us, that this is your life, Keith Thompson. This yeah. is your life, Miss John. Yeah, that's right. Everything that happens to you, yeah. including the nasty virus, 
is interpretable. That's right. You can't understand it rightly if you'll understand it through this through this narrative. Um, man, that's exciting. It is exciting. Absolutely. We're that's why Cowper wrote things like, judge not the, you know, the hymn writer, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence. He hides a smiling face. He couldn't write that if this story wasn't true. Yeah. Right? Here's that's a guy right. who wanted to commit suicide and drive his carriage off in the Thames River and gets lost in the fog and his horse takes him home. And he realizes... <laughs> The Lord preserved me, and He writes that hymn. And you yeah. cannot write that and live that unless you're in this story. That's right. right. And so, man, and if people could just get it out of their head that it's, you went to seminary, you're supposed to think that way. No, 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 no. No, no, no. All I did at seminary was put a few tools in my belt yeah. to help me get you yeah. into that mission. Right. You didn't learn the mission at seminary. Yeah. You didn't learn the narrative at seminary. Right. And this this is a this is a topic for another maybe uh, I don't even know if it's worth talking about, but the reason I, I have this conviction that the reason we need seminaries, yeah, is because people are are not faithful with their time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the reason I had to go and sit down and learn this stuff right. in a setting where they're where they're it's very structured is because I live in a world that has discounted the value of the Bible. That's right. In in the world that God had planned for us. That's right. I would know Him simply because. <laughs> it's I'm I'm a part of a community That's that right. refused to let me get to a certain age without knowing these things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, kids learn five, six languages, right, all over the world. Yeah. They can know this narrative. They can know this narrative. They can know the story. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I'm totally convinced the same thing. Not to because you know I I want I want to go pursue a PhD because I want to. I a little bit of a thirst for that, but but the truth of the matter is I the letters. Aren't gonna make me know the story more. The story's already here. It's here. It's here. Yeah. Just be faithful to that, and that without the letters, got all I need. You're right. That's right. Throughout history, people with no letters oh. and no education know the story better than us, mm-hmm. and they live in it. They live in the supernatural stream of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Yeah. All right, our last. We got to hit this probably pretty quickly. But how is God? Uh, biblical theology a foundation for proper social engagement. How does it inform? How we roll around in the dirt with our world. Yeah, so it, it definitely matters because um, what I feel like my community needs is is driven by my answer to what is the ultimate problem yeah. in my community. Yeah. So um, we we talked a little bit about this. Martin Lord Jones is um, he's a he can be a little bit of a controversial figure, but he's, he was a physician. Mm-hmm. So he brought his understanding of, of medicine into his worldview. Yeah. And so he sees um, he sees the spiritual problem and the human condition. He mm-hmm. sees it as a diagnosis, like this is the problem, right. and then these are the symptoms. Right. Uh, as a physician, he knows you can't treat the symptoms and expect to get rid of the diagnosis. Right. You treat the symptoms, the person's going to feel better. Uh, one of the worst things you could ever do for someone who is sick, like maybe someone with appendicitis, and this is actually a story that Jones tells, in one of the sermons, like you got a person who comes in, they've got acute appendicitis. Right. They need surgery. Right. Probably. Um, uh, or the, the the patient that does need surgery. Right. One of the worst things you can do for them is give them an anesthetic to where they don't feel the pain. Right. Because at that point, you come back in 10 minutes later and you go, hey, yeah. they're okay. We're good. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. So they they have no longing, so to speak. Right. For a solution. The real solution Right. To the real problem, 
Um, much of our social engagement, if it's wrong-headed, yeah. um, if it's just one or the other, yeah. is a remedy to the 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 um right the um symptoms right. And it's not it's not a solution to the problem. That's right. Man's problem is they're separated from God, right? And they don't understand Him. And separated from God, they're destined to eternity without Him forever right. in hell. And we were created for God. Right. And every minute that we live separated from God, right, is misery misery upon misery leading toward ultimate destruction. That's right. So um, when I know that there's a a, a creation, yeah, that was good, yeah. I can ask myself the question, well, how do I get back to that? Right. If I believe the creation was never ultimately good, that it was kind of bad to begin with, and is working toward yeah. this utopian thing that eventually it's going to work itself out, and things are going to be great. Right. That's where human beings are headed. Right. I'm completely going to have a different solution to the problem. That's right. But if I recognize there's a creation, there's a fall where man separated himself from God. Right. Then I know the answer is we got to get back to God. Yeah. And that if, and then if I know that at the end, that is, in fact, what's going to happen. There's going to be two groups of human beings, ones that are reconciled to God and ones that aren't. Right. Then um, all that factors into, well, what am I going to do with the hunger I see in my world? What am I going to do with the, the, the deep um, the racial divisions that right. I see in my world? What are we right. going to do with um, issues associated with, um, uh, you know, governments that can't seem to get themselves together? Just all the, all the suffering that I see in the world. Absolutely. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after it in yeah. a different way. You have to, right? If, if you take one or the other, if you, Jesus taught us, you know, heal and then say to them, preach them, the kingdom of God has come mm-hmm. near to you and invite them into that kingdom, right? right. Matthew 25, he's looking at, did you, did you do this? Um, and the presupposition is because you believed in me and you followed after me and you're, you're seeing to yeah. the repair and the spiritual health. Of the people, and and if you take one of those away, you're going to have a social gospel or a Gnostic gospel. Mm-hmm. We're only concerned about your spiritual welfare, and doesn't matter if all this rots and goes away. That's Gnosticism. Yeah. Or we're just concerned about the physical existence. Well, just maybe you'll find your way spiritually. That's 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 a social gospel devoid right. of Jesus. And both of those are wrong. And so, if we're looking from a biblical framework, we're forced to look at there's an end, big, big yeah. fancy word, eschatology. How I see that ending from a biblical theology is going to affect how I walk through seeing creation, yeah. the fall nature of man, the person work of Christ, and what he's doing to get us to that end. And, and from that satellite view, pinpointed at some place in history, how I see the end is going to affect everything. So, biblical theology is forcing me to look at my whole world see my place in it and my role in it with the application of the gospel. And I hate to say holistic because somebody's going to hear that and right. take it in a direction we yeah. don't mean it to go, but in a really holistic fashion. Yeah. Me as a person and me as a spiritual creature together being worked out. Yeah, it's comprehensive. It's comprehensive. Uh, one of the, Better the, word, yeah, comprehensive. Theologians would... Um, um, we're a psychosomatic unity. Yeah. We're spiritual and physical. That's right. Like we're, we're not... Um, yeah, we're not these creatures that are that exist in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. No, yeah. at the end of the day, we're going to have a body. Yeah, that's right. We're not going to be disembodied creatures. No, we're going to have a body. Yeah, and that body and that that spirit are going to be together. Yeah. So when I'm dealing with um, when I'm dealing with someone in Rome, Georgia, who is struggling, man, they can't seem to get themselves together. They're spiritually lost. Yeah. They don't know the Lord. 
and they're making decisions that are consistent with the fact that they don't know the Lord, immediately, from the very beginning, I've got to keep two notions in mind. This person's physical needs. God created them in the image of himself for their physical needs to be met. Yeah. And he created their spirit to be connected with him. Absolutely. We don't get to do one or the other. No, we got to do both. We do not get to do one or the other. That's right. And that, you know, I've watched, I've seen lately, I've just watched them because I think you can learn, but I've watched a bunch of folks try to debate, is it a spiritual solution or is it a physical solution? Right. Like, should we go in and dig wells? Right. Or should we go in and share the gospel? Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> do both. Yes. I mean, why can't we do both? Right. Like, which one's supposed to happen precisely first? Right. Yeah. I don't care. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Ask them to come help you dig the well yeah. and tell them about Jesus, the That's creator right. of the universe, who yeah. put the water in the ground yeah. in the first and, place. And the, what, the reason is, I mean, the reason these conversations have to be had is right. because there are ministries out there that aren't doing both. That's right. They're doing one or the other. They're hitting people over the head with the Bible, and they're telling them they need Jesus, and if you don't need Jesus, I ain't got nothing for you. Yeah, that's right. And then you got the crowd that's that's pouring tons of money into, into places. They're trying to set up organizations and systems and structures that are going to remedy hunger, lostness. And for, for any real practical purposes, they're not telling them, look, no. the reason you're here is because you're lost. You're separated from God. You need Jesus. Yeah. Or none of this is going to work out. That's right. It's got to be both. Absolutely. And early on. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. early. Yeah, go yeah. early. And, and, you know. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Uh, Highlight your distinctives. Talk about what you believe. Yeah. And that, because biblical theology, that's fueling your physical behavior. I'm doing this because there is a God who tells me this is important. Yeah. And I want to tell you who he is. Right. And, and because that's a biblical theology, right? It's forcing you right. to come from the narrative into some manner of verbalizing why and doing something about yeah, it. Yeah, the narrative shows over and over again from mm-hmm. Old Testament or yeah. Old Covenant to New Covenant that when you follow the Lord, things go well with you. That's right. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean you're going to be healthy. It doesn't mean that you're going to be the king that gets 55 years versus right. the king that gets 20 years. No, it doesn't mean that. That's right. But it does mean there is a consistent theme all the way through Scripture that if we follow God's prescriptions about how life is supposed to be lived, yeah. then we're, we're going to have more flourishing That's right. than if we don't. That's right. That's social. It's economic. Yep. It's political. All those things. Yep. But we also see that at the end of times, right. there's going to be a... a, a, a um, um, yeah, there's going to be a judgment. That's right. And it doesn't matter how flourishing you were here. That's right. At the end of times, you're either going to be counted as one of the, you're going to be kind of son of God. Yeah. A son of the seed. That's right. Or you're going to be a son of the enemy. That's exactly right. Uh, or a daughter of the enemy. That's right. I find it fascinating in some of the kings in the Old Testament. You read these narratives about those who followed the Lord and they obeyed. And even where they made mistakes, they sought to repent. They, in some instances, they made a great fire for them, and their legacy was, was, was trumpeted, and they mourned for them, and they mm-hmm. missed them, and they buried them in the tomb of their fathers. And there are some who, because they didn't follow the Lord, they were just glad to get rid of them, and they left them out in the field. <laughs> and, and one of them, he says, they did not make a fire in his name. They were just glad he was gone. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going, it goes better whether you die at the hands of a pagan warrior mm-hmm. 
or you die of natural causes because you followed the Lord. Yeah. You left a fruitful legacy. You're going to die. <laughs> You're not going to live forever, but you left something worth imitating. Right. And they buried you in the tomb of your fathers. And, and man, that, that, it just goes better. Yeah, that's a biblical, uh, theological view of the world. It's a worldview that's shaped by yeah. the meta-narrative. That's right. Um, and it's, you know, it's just true. It is. It's just true. Well, I think uh, we've begun to squeeze some juice out of this orange, and there's probably more we could do, but I think we're out of time. So, hey, Keith, thanks. It's been fun. Yeah, yeah enjoy it. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions if you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.